0: Welcome to the Inside Carolina Podcast, presented by Jersey Mike's Subs of Chapel Hill. Get 15% off your online order with the promo code HEELS15. Go to jerseymikes.com order now.
1: I'm your host, Tommy Ashley. I'm joined by Mike Ingersoll, as usual, recording on a Tuesday night. But this Tuesday, we got Taylor Vipolis. A lot of discussion on the message boards. Oh, by the way, you're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show, sponsored by Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. Don't want to forget that one. A lot of discussion on the message boards about um, what has caused the ills for North Carolina's offense at times. Uh, the Miami game certainly brought a lot of that to the forefront. So let's—I'll uh, go with you, Mike, since you're my usual Tuesday guy. Carolina's offense didn't do much against the Hurricanes. In fact. Uh, we know about the the tackles for loss. We know about the turnovers and the touchdowns and all that. But let's sort of get into the nuts and bolts of, in general of about the Carolina offense from the O-line standpoint that you'll bring and from a skill position standpoint that Taylor may bring. But, Mike, your overall impression thus far in the season, post-Miami, post a couple weeks after Miami, after you've had a chance to digest it all. Yeah, so before we recorded the show here, I went and I watched the
2: Miami game, the TV copy. Uh, I watched it again, so it's fresh in my mind. But what I saw was we had initial struggles against Cal, but the offensive line seemed to be uh, more progressed for a game one than I would expect them to be. They seemed a little bit further down the road than I thought they would be, which was encouraging. Um, They had some areas to clean up, and over the last few weeks, they had been. But some of that stuff started going out the window against Miami, and it seemed like they took a step or or two back from where they were. And the the specific areas that I can think of and that I can point to right now um are again, I've talked about it a lot, but backside responsibilities uh in the run game and twist game in pass protection. And Miami historically, regardless of who the defensive coordinator is, understand that Manny Diaz is now the the defensive coordinator at Miami and they've always had somebody different and under Randy Shannon, you know, they ran uh, all kinds of different looks, and, and Randy had a lot of input on the defense there. They have always been a, a twist team. Their defensive line has always run tackle in and then tackle twist and some variation thereof, right? Uh, Manny Diaz gets a little more complicated with his blitz packages. He likes to mix in single rushers and, and blitz schemes with, uh, with that twist game. But at the end of the day, it's all the same basic concept. And I saw us getting beat on some of that stuff. Um, in pass protection, and that hasn't happened before. I mean, the first thing that comes the, at the forefront of my mind is the very first uh, sack fumble that was returned uh, by Joe Johnson for a touchdown. That's uh, number 99 defensive end for Miami. Um, that was returned for a touchdown. That was off of a basic twist that I actually saw our uh, right tackle, right guard call out uh, they knew it was coming pre-snap. Uh, I saw them point. They knew it was happening. And based on technique and how they set, they they got beat and it ended up resulting in a defensive touchdown. Uh, and then backside in the run game, every time one of our runs got blown up, it seemed like it was from a run-through in a line, with a linebacker or uh, some backside uh, defensive line technique or a backside linebacker just shooting a gap making the play. Uh, and that's all – it's only because of our, our technique on the backside. It wasn't because they – just flat out whipped our guys. So that's, that's what I've seen so far and we can get more granular than that, but that's, that's where I've seen the, uh, there was improvement and there seems to have been a step back against Miami.
1: Taylor, your thoughts on Mike's comments there. I know that from my experience watching North Carolina football and any football in general, the O-line takes a ton of heat when things aren't going well, um, but doesn't get a whole lot of credit when things are going well. Uh, it was a group effort, I thought, down in Miami uh, for the the, for lack of a better word, disaster that was that game. But your thoughts on the OL play overall, um, from what you've seen, you know, based on your experience as a, as as a skill guy.
0: Overall, I would say the offensive line has played about a average for ACC play. I think you've gotten some pretty good performances out of William Sweet and Charlie Heck. And we kind of knew that UNC would be strong at the tackle positions, but then it's been, you know, below average from your interior offensive line, which was really the big question mark. And I don't think really anybody played well against Miami. I think a lot of guys got kind of exposed just playing against a lot better athletes. Um, You know, I'm not looking as in-depth at the offensive line, as Mike is, but a lot of the times I'm noticing the interior guys are, you know, they're looking backwards at their quarterback and, you know, I don't have to play offensive line to know that, you know, that's probably not a good sign when some of your, your guards are looking back at their quarterback while uh, the quarterback's going down. And then I think the sacks allowed stat is kind of misleading just because there's, there's been opportunities where the quarterback, should have taken a sack. Um, Just some of that come to mind. Uh, Chaz Surratt in the Miami game, you know, he probably should have ate that one on the screen. Nathan Elliott, the Cal game, he probably wishes he didn't throw a couple of those interceptions. So I think the stats are kind of misleading to make you think that the offensive line play was a little better than it is from uh, from my perspective as a skill guy. But I think they've also done a good job, kind of creating lanes for you know the backs and giving North Carolina a chance to have a more balanced offense and not just have to rely on the run. But then it comes down to Carolina right now; they just don't have anybody that could throw the ball vertically downfield.
1: Mike, when I watched the Miami game, uh, I saw them run the ball well at first. Yeah, I saw Surratt do some really good things running the ball, and then it kind of just I I don't know if it was um, Carolina started doing something differently or Miami adjusted. Your thoughts there. And my thing watching, okay, they start out doing something well, and I've always thought then they want to go away from it. How much of that is on Carolina? How much of that is the adjustments? And then why is there no adjustment off of the defensive adjustment? You know what I mean?
2: No, I understand. So to answer your first question, why do we get away from it? You can't run. First off, Nathan is not a running quarterback. He's not he's not our mobile guy. We don't have Nathan is not Michael Vick back there. Um, He is a pocket passing quarterback with limited mobility. He has some mobility. I'm not sitting here saying he's a bad athlete. He's not. But he's I mean, you're comparing him and Chaz Surratt in terms of athleticism, mobility um, and ability to do something with his feet. I mean, they are two different players. Uh, But the reason we ended up having – got to get away from running Chaz so much is that the kid gets tired. I mean, and that's understandable, especially when that's his first game action of the year. You're never more tired than you are in the first game you play uh, of any football season, whether that's game one or, like in Chaz's circumstance, uh, game four. So the kid can't run every single time he touches the ball. This isn't Georgia Tech. He wasn't trained to do that, right? That is a change of you know, quarterback design runs in our offense or a change of pace kind of thing uh, when you've got a defense on their heels. We ended up having to use it as a staple of our game plan, which we actually were able to stick to early on in the game. We did a good job of staying on schedule and doing the things that we wanted to do offensively, particularly in the run game. But even in the pass game, uh, despite some of the miscues uh, passing, you know, we, we completed some first downs, we had some decent gains, and then that opened up, that opened up the run game, and then as the run game got going, they had to start stacking the box a little bit, which allowed us to pick them apart a little bit in the pass game. We obviously saw how the wheels fell off because you know, a, little, a turnover here or there ends up, ends up killing you. But in terms of at least starting drives, it looked like we were able to stay on schedule there for the first, I mean, I'd say quarter and a half, and then we sort of had to abandon it. And that's when Chaz, Chaz came in and started doing some great things with his legs, but he got gassed and when you run a guy too much when he gets too tired that's when he gets hurt right and we know that Chaz he had the injury last year he's he's still young uh it's his first game back he hasn't been his body hasn't acclimated to the hits or the contact yet for this season so you can't sit there and 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 force that kid into situations where he's gonna get lit up for an entire game something bad is gonna ultimately happen he was best used as a change of pace quarterback the problem was we ended up having to rely on him as our full-time quarterback because, I mean, unfortunately, Nathan just, for whatever reason, just didn't have the game that I know he prepared to have. And there's a lot of things that factored into that. I think Taylor hit the nail on the head with the sacks that it it is a little misleading. It's usually misleading when you've got an offensive line that gives up too many sacks, right? And they, They have a lot of sacks given up, and it's also misleading most of the time. There's exceptions to the rule, but most of the time, when you've got an offensive line that hasn't given up nearly any like we had going into Miami. We only had one going into the Miami game. Some of the things that I saw were, you know, what sack stats don't keep track of is the number of hits you've given up, the amount of pressure you've given up uh, on a quarterback. And that, obviously, you that, that creates a situation where you're disrupting offensive flow and you're disrupting the game plan um, in the middle of plays because quarterback is – uh, quarterback is distracted, he's got people in his face, and he can't make plays. Th- those sack stats, they don't keep track of things like that. But it's the hits on the quarterback, it's the pressure on the quarterback. That's what ultimately ends up affecting the game far more than an actual sack does.
1: I want to talk a little bit more about Chaz Surratt, but first I want to tell you about Jersey Mike's of Chapel Hill. There's a grand opening today, Wednesday, October 10th. A new Jersey Mike store at Chatham Crossings and the Lowe's Shopping Center. It's right outside the, Ch- the heart of Chapel Hill, down 15501, right on the way for anyone coming to Chapel Hill from Laurenburg, Pinehurst, Southern Pines, Sanford, or Pittsburgh. And remember, all fall, Jersey Mike's Chapel Hill of Chapel Hill is partnered with Inside Carolina to offer a great deal for IC Podcast listeners. All you need to do is use the code HILLS15 and get 15% off your online order. Go to jerseymikes.com front slash order. It'll show the locations nearest you. Pick four of those locations near Chapel Hill. Click your order. Pick your favorite sub. And at checkout, enter Hills 15 and get that 15% off. Do it today. Skip the line. Head straight to the register. Grab your food and you're on your way. Four Chapel Hill and Hillsborough locations. They're all right off uh, I-40. The one in Hillsborough is right off exit. Two sixty one, and now for Jersey Mike's inside Keenan Stadium, and with the tailgate guys this fall. So support the IC podcast and get fifteen percent off that Jersey Mike's order. It's a win win. Taylor Mike talked about Surratt and maybe his 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 win there coming in Game Four. Your thoughts on his preparation or the preparation uh, that maybe the staff. Uh, had with him going into miami did you do you think or were you surprised that he played as much as he did against miami um given that he had been on that scout team for i guess a month after they started narrowing reps? What were your thoughts there, and I don't want to steal anything from John's podcast that you do with e j Wilson later in the week, but one of the best quotes from our pregame Miami podcast to me is Mike saying, um, well, it depends on whether or not the scout team reps were taken seriously or not. And Mike, that's a little less colorful than the way you put it. Going into Miami, I saw a guy uh, that was clearly playing his first action of the year, um, came out strong, but then sort of the, the enormity of the situation sort of took over. But your thoughts on that as far as Surratt?
0: Yeah, I wasn't too surprised that Surratt played a lot just because comparing Nathan Elliott and Chaz Surratt, I think your ceiling is always going to be higher with a guy like Chaz Surratt just because of his athleticism. And then you're just banking on the fact that he's able to make good decisions. But uh, I mentioned it in a video that I did today. He was, the odds were so stacked against him, you know, not having any meaningful, you know, quote unquote, meaningful reps since training camp, working with the scout team, with the scout team, all you're getting is a card where it's telling you, you know, the exact play you're running. You're not really thinking, you're not really having to like dissect a defense as much. And you're just going out there and, you know, giving the defensive coaches the look that they want to see. So, you know, he's had a month where he, he's probably been limited in the quarterback meetings he could go to just because scout team is meeting at the same time. Then you throw in the fact that you're on a short week. He's not getting starting reps during that short week. He's getting two reps behind Nathan Elliott. So, and then Miami has one of the best defenses in the country, you know, number one in tackles for loss going into that game, number one, total defense. I think they're sixth in takeaways and, um, The odds were just stacked against him going into that game, and I don't think it was a make-or-break game for him. Like, uh, I wouldn't give up on him if I'm North Carolina yet just because I think you've seen flashes of him where he can go through his progressions and he can make plays with his legs. Like, you look at through the first four games last year where you had a relatively healthy team. Chesseract looked like he could be the future quarterback for North Carolina. Up until that the two handed over uh overhand pass uh against Duke, where it, it his season basically just fell apart from that point on. So I wasn't surprised in how much we've seen how much we saw Chaz against Miami, but um I was a little surprised that you know, some of his decision making ability just because it's it's things that you would hope he has figured out by because you look at him and he, he has everything you would want to be a good quarterback in terms of the physical tools, but uh, he just has to put it together mentally. And I think it was going to be tough for him uh, short week coming off the scout team to kind of turn it around against one of the nation's best defenses and arguably one of the nation's best defensive coordinators. And he does, yeah, it's right. not, it, it's not getting any easier with Bud Foster coming.
2: Taylor, how does it affect you as a receiver catching passes from two different quarterbacks? Because I can tell you how it is on the offensive line playing next to somebody different. It's it's like night and day. People would think that you could just plug and play on the offensive line, and there'd be no real drop off. But every player has a different style. So what's it like as a receiver uh, having to catch passes and run routes for uh, for different quarterbacks, even in uh, just generally, but I mean in from series to series. Yeah, it's
0: tough. You have to know where they like to put the ball. Um, You have to know how hard they're throwing it and kind of making that adjustment, Um, you know, playing on um, UNC in like 2013, I can compare to that. Like a guy like Bryn Renner was going to throw it real hard and, you know, the ball was going to come up on you real fast, but a guy like Mitch Trubisky, you know, he could, he wasn't going to throw the ball as hard, but maybe he had like a better touch on the ball and could get you the ball in a tighter window. So It's it's hard to just kind of plug and play because, you know, it's kind of affecting you when you're running a deep ball and you, you know, say a guy like Chaz has a better arm than Nathan Elliott. But that's why the coaches try to keep everything like landmarks, like a fade. You're supposed to get the ball at around 26. So you're not supposed to be looking up at 10, knowing that this guy has a shorter arm because you just have to trust that he's going to hit it on the landmark. So the coaches do a good job, I think, in making sure that all the balls are coming out at the same point and, you know, the same the same uh, distance for the routes. But um, in terms of what it looks like when it comes out, that's a little bit of an adjustment.
1: Great question, Mike. Uh, that, you brought it there. Taylor, let me uh, – I'm going to stick with you on that. You mentioned uh, Renner, Trubisky, those guys. How much can you actually get – let's talk about Chassarad a little bit more. How much – Okay, so he has the season he has last year, and like you said, it sort of fell apart against Duke, and then it's kind of sideways from there. He played a little bit late. Uh, Then the suspension, and then he comes out against Miami. I mean, how – just sort of put yourself in his shoes or or think about it as a former player or guys you've been around. How tough is the mental part of that for a guy um, that was pretty highly recruited, had a lot of success in high school, and then on the college stage, show a flash, but it's kind of fallen off. I mean, talk about the mental aspect of the game for a player that's gone through that. And it happens every day at every college campus. Of course, we follow Carolina and we cover Carolina. So speak to that part of it for maybe a guy like Chaz Terrett.
0: It's definitely tough. I think it's something that you have to rely heavily on your teammates and uh, the team chaplain, Mitch Mason is a good guy who he's, he's a resource where if you're ever having a hard time or, you know, you want somebody to talk to who's not the coach, Mitch Mason was always the guy for us at Carolina. And I know he's still there and does a great job with that. But it, even if Chaz Surratt, some of his problems were caused by himself, like with the suspension and selling the shoes, it just feels like you know one bad thing happens to you and then another and then another and then another and then on the top of that you have like schoolwork you have all these relationships on the outside world with your friends and with your family and it just feels like a snowball kind of piling backwards towards you and it's just something you just have to kind of just trust in your preparation and trust in the work that you're putting out on the field like i remember i went through um a stretch in probably my junior year where it felt like every ball that was going to come to me like I was going to drop and it it got to the point where like I remember I was like lining up out there and Mitch Trubisky was a quarterback and I was looking inside like please don't throw me the ball please don't throw me the ball but then like the only thing I could do was just be like you know I'm just going to put in so much work that I get that confidence back and it's the confidence is you know just as big as the strength work you put in, the the prep you put in for your body and your mind. So getting that confidence back, is it's something like when I was having that problem with the drops, I had to stay after practice and I was working on the ball machine. I was going up to some of the older guys like Mac Collins and being like, hey, like I'm going through this problem. And then I think once you start talking through it with other people, you start to realize like, hey, I'm not the only person going through this. Um, there's a lot of good resources on this team. I'm not sure that Chaz has somebody like that in the quarterback room, um, considering that's a pretty that's a relatively young room, um, and the the only old, older guys are Nathan Elliot, Manny Miles, and none of those guys have a ton of experience that you would re- want to rely on. Um, and then you have guys like Jace Ruder and Cade Fortin, who they're still getting the playbook thrown at them, and the fact that they're not in, you know probably tells that probably tells you that their heads are spinning so it's it's something where you have to rely heavily upon the people around you and have a good support staff around you
1: mike same question to you on that on the mental side of it i mean you've been there um talk to me talk to me the difference um for you personally maybe or your some of your teammates but also the difference between like ol guys and uh Quarterbacks or something—is there a difference there in mindsets, or how does that work um, around the different positions, specifically on offense?
2: I mean, it, it, human nature is human nature, right? I mean, it, and being an athlete is the same for for everybody, so everyone deals with the same things mentally. Um, you know, the the difference between the offensive line and the quarterback, if there is one, is that the quarterback position is a lone wolf kind of deal. Um, when you go out to the bar, I've talked about this before. When you go out to the bar. Quarterbacks don't roll out there together. They roll out by themselves or with a couple of other friends that might not be football players. Um, you know, there and that and that's a re, that's a reflection of the on field situation. There's only one quarterback on the field, right? He's kind of out there by himself on the field. But you know, offensive linemen, you see them travel in packs um, because we all play together on the field. There's five of us. We're always together. We are a unit. We go to the bar together. We go to dinner together. We hang out together. You know, so that's more of a group mentality. Um, and it's interesting to see that dynamic through the different position groups on both sides of the ball on a football team. Um, So to an extent, I guess that, that affects the way you cope with things and you deal with uh, you, you deal with some, some mental adversity, I guess, is, is how you, how you characterize it, but you deal with some struggles. Um, You know, Taylor brought up a good point that there isn't a lot of veteran leadership. Well, there's no veteran leadership really in the quarterback room uh, in terms of guys with game experience and life experience and experience within this program, um, you know, if you're looking for guys who have any, any type of real game experience in that program, it's in the quarterback room, it's Surrat. I mean, he's looking at himself um, and he doesn't really have anybody that he can go to, um, you know, any, any older guys, you know, I had the benefit of on the offensive line, talking things out like Taylor talked about, which is actually another great point that Vitt made would, that's the best way to get over things is to, is to verbalize them, right. And get them out in the open. Um, that goes for anything, but especially Uh, In athletics, dealing with confidence issues, getting the thing that's bothering you out and recognizing it, right, and and verbalizing it uh, kind of takes a little bit of the sting out of it, takes a little bit of the weight off. Um, And then you can bounce ideas off other people. I had the benefit of um, every year I was there, there was at least one or two seniors on the offensive line or some people who were older than me until I got to my senior year. You know, I had the benefit of Brian Chacos and Scott Lenahan and Lowell Dyer and Garrett Reynolds and Kyle Jolly. Um, You know, I I had these guys and Calvin Darity and I could talk to them. I could run anything by them, um, and they had experience and they they could draw on their experience and provide some insight to me. And that always helped me because if I was going through it, they'd gone through it themselves. Chaz is in a situation like Vip said, where he doesn't really have anybody like that to rely on. This is where situations like you have at Miami, right, or some of these other big time programs with guys coming back and kind of being around the program, former players, uh, current pro players, or former pro players that were also program guys or just former, you know, in this case, Tar Heels, hanging around the program, uh, guys that played your position, having them nearby to bounce things off of and to be a sounding board for when you're in a situation like Chaz is when you may not have somebody on the roster that you can talk to um, having a person like that who was once in your shoes, uh, it it helps. And I don't necessarily know. I don't know for sure that Chaz doesn't have that, but I would, I would venture a guess is to say that he doesn't. And that's, that's difficult. but for me, the 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 best way that I got over things like that, and I had struggles the same way. I mean, I had games where I, you know, I came out of it or I had weeks in practice, right? Where I'd come out of practice thinking, I'm gonna get smoked this week. And I would do what Taylor just said. I mean, I would stay after practice and I would work and work and work and work and work until I had that confidence back in my punch and in my hips and in my technique. And I knew that I was gonna get some some drive off the ball in the run game. And I would hit the I would hit sleds and I would hit, you know, lev sleds and, and one man, two man sleds. I would go in the weight room and I would take a a, a hex bar and I would punch a hex bar in my, you know, I'd, I'd kick and punch at the same time with weight on it, basically like a, like a, like a, a donut on a baseball bat to, to get that muscle memory and to, to, to build that confidence up in myself that my punch was going to be good. Come Saturday, I did that Friday night before we left to go to the hotel, every single game week. Um, and that gave me confidence. Uh, that I was going to play well in the game, despite the week of practice I had just had. But for me, it always boiled down to I had to constantly remind myself and ask myself, you know, how bad do I want to be good, and how 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 much how much do I want to avoid being a failure this week? And that sort of thinking is what propelled me. And that's I I, I assume that every everybody thinks that way. They don't. Um, got different guys have different approaches. That was my approach. It was a self deprecating um um almost masochistic approach to to my to my athletic career it was it was you suck what are you going to do to not suck this week or what are you going to do to not suck as bad as you suck last week you know that that was my mentality and that that helped me have you know a, a, a an okay junior year and a, from you know at least from where i was sitting i was i was happy with the production i had as a senior um you know i had i had what i felt like was a productive two years as a starter and four years as a letterman, you know, maintaining that, that mentality. And that's the only way that I got through things. But I, again, I had the benefit of veteran leadership and older guys. that I don't know that Chaz has just like Vip said.
1: Great stuff there. That's why we have you former guys on there. So y'all can explain how it is. Cause it's pretty easy looking from the outside in and being critical or assuming or wondering what's going on. I want to keep this ball rolling, but first I want to talk about HeelsTravel.com. I've talked about this a lot on this podcast Uh, in recent months. It's a great deal for North Carolina fans to get to see the Heels play somewhere away from Chapel Hill. It's the easiest way to get there. Right now, HeelsTravel.com is offering packages to Las Vegas for three nights and two games. Excuse me, three nights and two games. And then for two nights in Chicago for UNC and Kentucky. And for hotel accommodations at the ACC Tournament in Charlotte. Visit HeelsTravel.com now. Call 336-855-0060 to book. The trip to Vegas, in course, includes round-trip airfare from RDU, round-trip transportation from the airport to the hotel, and three nights at the Aria Casino and Resort. And the trip to Chicago, get this. Two of the best teams in the country squaring off on December 22nd. It's going to be a great time. So visit HeelsTravel.com now or call 336-855-0060 to book your trip. Taylor, let me sort of stay with in the same vein. How important is it to have former guys that have played on that team, like on North Carolina? You know, now Quinshaw's there, Shotman's there, Shaq's there. How many how important is it um, to have guys around that have been there and gone through it for North Carolina specifically, not necessarily coaches that played the game or or things like that, but guys that were specifically in the same shoes. How how much do you think that matters
0: right now? I think it helps a lot just with how young this team is and, you know, no true like leaders kind of emerging Um, back in 2015 when we had a great season, we didn't have, like guys around the program who had just gotten out coming back to us. But we all just kind of took that approach. Like we saw how hard the the senior leaders like guys like Shotmer and Shaq were working and it kind of trickled down from, you know, the best players on the team all the way down to the scout team. And I think you saw that weekend and week out where no matter what the circumstances were, like we were going to try to find, find our, our best game. And, going off of what Mike said, I think the biggest thing for that 2015 team is once we lost that South Carolina game, we all came together as a team and you know, we just kind of tuned out the outside noise and we had this meeting where we were, where somebody was talking about like what's your why? Why do you play football? And that kind of resonated with everybody so for the rest of that year, you know, before every practice, before every lift, before every meal, just thinking back like why am I playing football? Like what gets me up out of bed in the morning to, you know, come into Keenan football center and give it my best effort. And right now I'm not sure if Carolina has too many of those guys who, you know, they know why they're playing football besides just kind of going through the motions um, Monday through Sunday. And that's not taking a shot at anybody. Cause you know, I don't really know the mental state of this team, but just looking at some of the things like, the guys have said after after games this year you had charlie heck saying they weren't mentally locked in for the first game um during training camp john jonathan smith mentioned that before andre smith got hurt he was kind of tuning out in the meetings and that was just something you wouldn't have seen in 2015 because we had so many great leaders so i think having guys who were on that team guys like quinchad guys like shack guys like shotmer around the team it's nothing but positive. A guy like AJ Blue in the locker, in uh, the weight room, guys who have been through, you know, they've been through every situation at Carolina and they're a lot closer to the player's age. They can relate a lot better to the players. And then when you bring, this is a completely different aspect, but also kind of the same. Um, when you bring recruits on campus, you know, these aren't guys who are having to learn why they love Carolina or, what's so great about Carolina? Why are you trying to sell Carolina? A guy like Jeff Shopmer, you know, he bleeds Carolina blue. He loves Carolina blue more than anything compared to a grad assistant. You just get off the street, you know, coming, this is his fourth stop and he's looking at, he's looking for where he's going to go next. So you have guys in the program where they want to see Carolina football succeed and they know what it's going to take. It's It's just up to the players to kind of use those resources and, Kind of figure it out for themselves. Like, this is what I want to be doing. I want to be the best. And just doing what those guys did, not letting anything stop them, tuning out the outside noise, kind of blocking everything else out and just putting your best foot forward every day and wanting to get better every day.
1: You're listening to the Inside Carolina Radio Show. We'll be right back after these messages.
2: Some brands offer you low finance, or cashback,
1: or servicing. Renault don't do ors. We do ands. The Renault Cajar with 1.91% APR and €1,000 cashback and three years servicing, saving you thousands. Renault, the brand with the ands. Visit your local Renault dealer. Finance is made under a higher purchase agreement. Terms and conditions apply, deposit required, subject to lending criteria. See renault.ie. Before we wrap up the show, I want to ask you all a couple more questions. But Mike, let me and we've talked about this a little bit on these podcasts and but I want both of you guys experience and Mike, you're you're the old guy on the podcast. Not huh. named me. Not named me. So and Taylor, you're the younger guy. So two different not really two different eras, but certainly two different. Well, basically it is, Mike. How much did yeah, two different
2: coaching staffs? Yeah,
1: yeah. But I, and as far as like social media and all that kind of mess, Mike. How much yeah. did you guys listen to the outside world, especially earlier in your career, about what was going on and, and thoughts and people thinking about you know coaches or whether you sucked or not or how good you were? How, how much did you care? You personally, and then how much did your team care about what people outside looking in thought? Twitter didn't exist until
2: 2008, so for the first two years that I was here, we just, we didn't have, there was, there was nothing outside of message boards that were going to get that message to us. Um, And then even in 2008, nine, and 10, I mean, Twitter was still in its infancy. I mean, I didn't have a Twitter account until, uh, I mean, I guess I, I guess I started one in February of 2011 when I was up in Indianapolis training for the combine, um, that was when I just got a Twitter and I got it because I was bored. There was just nothing to do in between workouts, but sit at my computer and, you know, get on Twitter. And, and it wasn't nearly the volume of information. It, it wasn't the volume of access, uh, that it is now. And we just, we weren't exposed to it that much, but I will say that it, those sorts of things matter to us. I mean, we're kids, right? I mean, that stuff matters to all people, no matter how old you are, but especially kids, it matters what people think about you, especially the fan base that like Taylor just said, I mean, you got guys like Jeff Schotmer that bleed Carolina blue. Well, so does everybody else that's on that team. Right. And they, for the most part, I mean, I would hope so at least. And it matters what the fan base that you feel like you're playing for and that you represent, it matters what they think about you. And um, we were advised as a family very early on, uh, and I believe it was by, uh, the Chacos. Um, but the, uh, the Jollies reiterated it to us, you know, make sure that I, they, my parents were told to tell me to make sure that I stayed off the message boards, particularly the inside Carolina message board, the tar pit board, um, <laughs> stay off of it. Don't read it. It's just toxic. It's, it's mostly people that never played and don't know what they're talking about. You know, they're just going to rip you apart and make you feel bad. And I didn't believe them. I thought, well, no, I mean, it's it's, it's grown adults. I mean, and there's got to be people on there that know what they're talking about. I want to just see and get a sampling. And I did it once and I never went back. Frankly, I didn't have access. I, I didn't get back on the IC message board until I started working for IC. It, it was partly just out of habit because I was trained not to be on it. But it was also from stories about, you know, that I didn't know until after college, but, you know, other offensive linemen's moms that my mother was very close to uh, meeting up at games and talking and 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 sitting there in tears about some of the things that were being said about me and whoever's son that was each and every week on those message boards. So you know we were told we were told to avoid it because it was so toxic that it affected the people that loved us. For that reason, I never got on it, and I know that most of my teammates didn't, although there were some guys who did and they fed into it and they played into it. Um, a couple of guys might have had burner accounts for for the message boards and actually participated. Uh, participated in the madness, but uh, I wasn't one of those people. But that doesn't mean that what was being said didn't matter to me, and I didn't hear some of it. And I'll never forget actually sitting at a bar, and TJ won't mind me telling the story. But we were sitting outside of Pantana Bob's one night. It was 2009, and it was after the Miami game, and um, we were sitting there out front, right where the you know the the doorman sits, and we were drinking a couple beers, and there was a group of frat boys <clears throat> sitting next to us, and I heard one of the guys running his mouth. TJ, we we won that game. That was when Kendrick Bernie went off. Uh, he picked off Jacory Harris, I think, three times. Um, yep. We beat Miami. We were, that was at that point three and zero for for Butch and for us against Miami. Um, and we we beat them. It was a three thirty kickoff, so it ended at night. It was it was great. It was a great atmosphere. It was a great win. Um, and TJ played well. He didn't play his great his best game. He didn't have a you know an LSU twenty ten kind of game. But he played he played well. He didn't play nearly as bad as people um, told him that he did. Uh, and this one guy in particular is one of those people, uh, who, who was sitting there and he was running his mouth about TJ. And, and I, I leaned over and I, uh, I said, man, that's pretty crazy. And I, I slunk down in my chair, so I didn't seem as big. And the guy started talking to me and, and he kept running his mouth about TJ a little bit. And he didn't know that TJ was sitting on the other side of me. And I said to him, man, I bet if, uh, man, if TJ was, was here right now, I mean, would, would you tell him, would you tell him? Everything you just said, and he goes, Shit, yeah, man. I'd I'd tell him I'd I'd tell him he sucked to his face. So I leaned over and said, Hey, TJ, this guy's got something he wants to say to you. And TJ stood up and the guy looked at him and he turned white and he was like, Oh man, you're the greatest, man. You played a great game. And he made, I mean he was amazing <laughs> the 180, right? Like he just completely flipped. He dapped him up and TJ looked at him and I looked at him and we told him to get the F out of there. And he did, and he left. And that was the point that I saw. Um, you know, that that's the that's the hiding behind a keyboard kind of thing. I mean, this guy was hiding behind a beer and didn't realize it the person he was running his mouth about who he had never met was sitting three feet away from him. Um, But that was the point that I realized that, you know, people will say a lot of things about you when they don't think that you're paying attention. Um, And they don't actually want you to hear some of the things they're saying about you. And I wish that was a lesson I would have learned earlier in college because that, that sort of stuff did affect us. It always did the vitriol and the venom always did get back to us at some point. So I I hope also that's, this is being taken as a message As some of, some of our subscribers, some of the fans, you know, just always remember that the things you say have, are more likely than not going to get back to the person you're saying them about, especially if they're a college kid on a college program like UNC, they're going to hear about it. And it's, and if, if it's not something that you would be willing to say to their face in all reality, then, uh, you, you probably shouldn't say it, you know, hiding behind a keyboard, but, but that's that.
1: Yeah, that's good stuff. Taylor, it's your turn. Um, you know, you, you played more recent, so it was more, it's more out there. Of course, Carolina was a little better for one of those seasons, but your thoughts on how it affects the team, how much uh, guys you've played with have cared about it or pay attention to it and listen to what's being said on the outside.
0: Yeah, I agree with Mike, with what Mike said, where it's just human nature that you want to know what people are saying. Like, I know some guys who I played with, you know, the first thing they would do once they got back on the bus or back in the locker room is search their name on Twitter and see, like, every time somebody mentioned them in a tweet, whether it was good or whether it was bad. And even sometimes, you know, replying back to the person saying, like, you don't know what was going on in the play. And it's just, it's just an extremely, like, toxic situation. And I was watching one interview. Um, recently from nba media day with justin jackson and he he kind of summed it up perfect that you know you're you're going to be interested in what people are saying about you but you have to get to this certain point in your life where you know you're not going out there to please just the average person you have your circle of people and you know the only approval that matters is those people in your circle but At the same time, these guys are 18, 19, 20, 21 year old kids on campus where, you know, it's hard to tune out what people are saying, especially when when it's right at your phone. And then there were, there were some times when we would go out on campus after a loss and, you know, people, people acted like they didn't know who we were, but at the same time, you know, you win the next week and everybody treats you like a rock star. So it's, it's, like the highs and lows of playing, you know, college football. And there's one situation I'll say, I I won't mention who the person is because I didn't talk to them about this before, but you know, his phone number got out, I think before the NC state game. And he had to shut his phone off the entire week because of how many calls he was getting. And I guess they posted it on a message board, but this is a 20 year old kid who he's having to go a week without his phone because he can't stop getting calls and people leaving him voicemails, telling him how much he sucks and things of that nature. And then going off what Mike said, just the uh, how the message board and reading the message board can be toxic. One situation that I can think of and somebody who's pretty open about, you know, his story and what he's had happened to him in football is a guy like Tommy Hatton, where last year, he's being held out from practice coach Fedor, for his own reasons you know he's being secretive about Tommy Hatton suffering these concussions but you go to the message board and people are calling Tommy Hatton soft and questioning his toughness and you're sitting in the locker room you see like how much pain like Tommy Hatton's going through his day-to-day life and you're just like looking at him like you want to say something like hey I know like you don't have to question this kid's toughness. His, his heart's in the right place. There's no doubt about that. But then you go to the message board and it's like, you're reading a completely different story about somebody that, you know, these people don't even really know. And then Tommy Hatton's going back reading that he's separated from the team. All those thoughts are in his head. So it's, it's a, it's a tough thing. One, when, when it's right at your phone and it's so easily accessible, Um. And you know, the everybody's gonna tell you tune it out, tune it out, but at the same time, we're all human. We're gonna we're gonna look at it.
1: Great stuff, boys. I remember and this is more of a humorous story, I was at the Masters back I can't remember when it was. I don't want to date myself too bad, but um I may have had some Carolina gear on and this old man turns around
2: did, and he... why you why did why did ben hogan turn around at the masters
1: um no why did you interrupt ben hogan's t-shirt yeah really i I took a picture i uh no let me tell it it's funny so uh this guy this older guy turns around and uh, it was the 2000 masters or the 99 masters and uh this old guy turns around and starts giving me grief for having on whatever i had and He's like, ah, you, you should be a Duke fan. You should like uh, Shane Battier and Mike Dunleavy. And I'm like, ah, oh, man, those guys suck. You know, screw them. They ain't no good. And uh, two guys stood up in front of me and was like, what'd you say? And it was Sh- Shane Battier and Dunleavy right there. And they knew we were joking around, but it was like, you never know who's listening. <laughs> That's and I awesome. just. Those dudes are a little bit bigger in person than they were on <laughs> TV. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. They usually not. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, anyway. Going
0: going back to Mike's story about um, what happened to TJ at He's Not, there was a situation that I kind of thought of just now. There was uh, – we lost to NC State in 2014, I believe. And, like, we went out that night after the game, like, just to hang out as a team. And, like, without thinking about it, Mac Hollins, he was wearing, like, a red T-shirt. And somebody tweeted, like, didn't even come up to him, just tweeted, like, wow, Mac Hollins is wearing a red T-shirt after losing to NC State. Like, have some respect for your school or something. He didn't didn't acknowledge the tweet until a year later when we beat NC State at uh, NC State and Mac scored that touchdown. And that night out, Mac wore an entire red outfit and he huh. tweeted at the dude, like, is it okay if I wear red now? And then the, guy, the I think the guy was a Carolina fan, so, like, he laughed about it. But it just kind of shows you, like, people are always conscious of what you're tweeting and what you're saying to them.
2: And there's different ways to handle it. And, yeah, it, you exactly. know, Mac, Mac's approach is the way that
1: we wish we all handled it all the time. Exactly. Unfortunately, that's just not how it goes. But well, well executed by Mac Hollins. Absolutely. Awesome stuff, guys. I appreciate y'all taking the time to get with me on a Tuesday night. Of course, our listeners will hear this on a Wednesday, but Carolina-Virginia Tech Saturday night. We'll certainly talk more about that game deeper into the week. Uh, But Taylor and Mike, appreciate you joining me tonight. Thank you both. Thank you.
2: Yeah, Tommy, thanks. And
1: thank you to North Rockland's
2: finest, Taylor Vipolis.
0: Wow. Love the shout-out. I yeah. yeah,
2: yeah for the fans fans that don't know, my Taylor and uh, Taylor and my dad went to the same high school. He's the only other person I've ever met who went to
0: Flow, <laughs> Flow Flo from Progressive too.
2: Oh, that's right. And she's from Charlotte. <laughs> God dang, we got a little love connection going on here.
1: <laughs> yeah, your dad went when it was like a single school building because <laughs> you're you're at least sixty. So
2: my dad met when you could smoke in the teachers' lounge. <laughs>
1: Yeah boys it'll be good. See ya.
0: Thanks for listening to the Inside Carolina podcast, presented by Jersey Mike Subs of Chapel Hill. Get fifteen percent off your online order with the promo code HEALS15. Go to jerseymikes.com slash order now.